Dearest listeners, as is befitting, we rejoice in the summer season and allow our minds to finally meander through many a hot, sunny day. Yet, the social season is upon us, and the comings and goings of London high society cannot be ignored. We turn a keen eye to the numerous offspring of Dowager Viscountess Bridgerton, and in doing so, we all may hastily awaken our minds and connect to something of value in a different, more scholarly world. Dear listener, rest assured, if there is a connection, these podcasters shall uncover it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild Summer Pop Culture Playground. We do this during the summer to try to help people stay connected while also being disconnected. We do this by having a little bit of fun, making some very lightweight, entertaining pop culture connections to our world of education and learning. So we're still keeping the learning going and creating some content for you to listen to over summer, but keeping it in a land that's very fun. And to do that, we're going to play a game that we like to call Six Degrees of Education, where we connect learning, we connect teamwork, we connect leadership to these pop culture movies, TV shows, music, and so forth. And we've got a couple of norms like we like to do. Those norms keep us on track, or at least we like to think it does. <laughs> we first got our 20-minute norms. We try to do these mini-sodes instead of full-length episodes just to keep us bringing new content quickly over the summer, but giving us all a break, you included. And then our second and final norm for this and most of our mini-sode episodes, because they're pop culture references... Sometimes there are spoilers. In this case, there will be some spoilers with our Bridgerton episode. So if you haven't caught yourself up, maybe finish your season or finish your episodes before listening to this full on. And fan yourself, ladies and gentlemen, because we are doing Bridgerton this time. (laughs) Casey, you want to break it down for the listeners? Absolutely. So we're going to be focusing on the Bridgerton Netflix series, but it's important to remember that this was first and foremost a book series following the lives of the eight Bridgerton siblings written by Julia Quinn. So if you haven't picked up the books, definitely check those out. But essentially, Bridgerton is set in a very lavish, relationship, marriage-heavy, competitive world of Regency London's high society. Everything is to the max, whether it's dresses, whether it's lavish parties to try to find your match and move your life forward in marriage. So the series really does bring forth to the forefront the eight Bridgerton siblings and their journeys to try to get spouses. Primarily, we're going to be focusing on season one of Bridgerton with a few sprinklings of season two. Season one centers on Daphne's pursuit of a husband. Season two centers around Anthony trying to find himself a wife. And listeners, thank you for your patience with us. And we are sitting here as a group recording from a new studio. So we got ourselves Mm -hmm. all in the same location on separate screens. And so we're trying to make sure we don't have echoes. Also, poor Casey, what are you dealing with here? (laughs) I have a horrible summer cold. So I apologize doing my best to keep it in check. It figures when we do our podcast retreat where we're going to be recording several of these together in one day that Casey's got this throat thing going on. So we're working through it. We're pushing (laughs) through, right? Yep. Seen it through. 
to the end. Let's go. So the first connection that I want us to talk about is going to be the really the parallel stories of Anthony, the eldest Bridgerton son, and the Duke of Hastings, the one that Daphne ends up pursuing both a partnership with and a marriage with in season one. So let's first start with those two. What connections can you both make? So I can connect those two to each other and also to the world of education in that I think they both suffered from a difficult handoff of power. So when you think about when a, like an institution, a school or a district will have somebody new in charge, new principal, there's always a period of growth and a period of need to understand and a period of awkwardness. And it's not usually anybody's fault. A lot of times it's just handing off power where one person's been in charge and doing things a certain way for a long time and then handing that over to somebody else. And then you get used to new methods and new ideas, new people, new personnel, that that's a difficult thing to do. And so both of them, like for lack of a better term, are just straight up daddy issues, right? From when their dads passed and they came into their own positions of power, it seems like that handoff didn't necessarily go well for them both. And that led to the way that they feel the need to assert their power through relationships rather than just through their positional power. And Emily, I love that you made that connection to the leadership side of things. My connection relates to just trauma in general. Mm. And I'm going to specifically focus on Anthony's trauma. So when his father passes, the reason he is picking flowers is because he loves his wife and wants to create a bouquet for her. He gets stung by that bee and moving forward, Anthony's perception of love is one that he either feels like is not worth his time and he is solely doing out of a sense of duty. And it's important for us as educators to realize that our students and even our colleagues' narratives are shaped by the experiences they have to endure. And it's through his connection with Kate that he does finally realize that he is number one, worthy of love, and it's not something that's going to lead to his demise and ruin. So mm. equating trauma and backstory in the classroom, being sure that we're finding space to learn about our students so that we can tailor our instruction and just flat out our support for learners with that backstory in mind. The way I see it, Casey, in bouncing off of that one a little bit is that power of vulnerability mm. and some people come really naturally to that, but oftentimes I find most people aren't. It takes a lot of practice to be able to be in touch with your vulnerable side. And so both Anthony and the Duke of Hastings with their traumatic backstories have to some effort to get into that to be able to be vulnerable and only with specific people. And so I connect that even just in the sense of that could be leadership or teaming. You come into your own when you're finally able to do that. And so the sooner you're able to get in touch with that side of yourself, the more effective you're going to be in your teams and with leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. So the next connection I want us to talk about is Eloise. So Eloise. Love Eloise. Eloise is, I believe, one, two, three. She is the fourth, no, fifth, fifth child in the Bridgerton I know family. So many. <laughs> Anthony, Benedict, Colin, Daphne. Fifth, yes, I was right. For those of you who don't realize, like all the Bridgerton kids, they go in oh. ABC order. I literally um, never caught that till right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> so let's talk about Eloise. She's the fifth child in the Bridgerton household and marches to the beat of her own drum. What connections can we make? 
Okay, so there's a lot you could say about Eloise, but I really zoomed in on a particular aspect of her and how she's characterized. And I just think about how driven she is to find out who Lady Whistledown is. More on that later. And I think about how the power of inquiry can affect somebody's motivation. So like she's got this inquiry-driven project, right? She has a mystery in her mind that she really wants to solve. And so much of what she does, especially in like season one, early season two, is especially before she makes her debut, is like designed around solving this one integral question that is driving all of her interactions and it just makes her motivated to solve. And so I think that when you think about how inquiry-driven learning or how inquiry-based projects can affect student learning, that it can be really motivating if there is a central piece of inquiry that means something to you. And I see that in Eloise. My favorite part about Eloise is she's true to herself. She really knows her identity. It's something that she has to struggle with, as Casey mentioned in the summary of all of this, this high-class society of fitting the mold and conforming. She goes against the grain a little bit. It makes her unique. It makes her a piece of what the world needs that we may not know. And I think, again, in those leadership circles, it's easy to want to conform, but you want to be true to your identity. Know who you are, be true to that, and don't make concessions for who you are. Because if you are constantly trying to fit the mold, you cannot truly lead others or work on their behalf because you're constantly putting forth the effort to be somebody you're not. And she is somebody I admire for that because she, especially in that environment, is able to push through that conformity lens. And for me, Eloise, to bring it into the sphere of learning, to me, Eloise reminds me of what differentiation gone wrong or lack of differentiation looks like. In order for Eloise to feel comfortable being part of society, her path has to look different than mm-hmm. what Daphne's path looks like. And it does not in season two. So when we think about differentiation, it's understanding what student readiness is, where are students mm-hmm. on that pathway to the learning target, and how do we provide them adequate sequencing to get to where they need to go and attune with their readiness. And so that's what I think of when I think of Eloise. That's a good way to put in and bring in the second season. Mm-hmm. There. Okay, so next one I'm thinking is going to be relatively on the nose for all of mm-hmm. us. But when you look at the production of Bridgerton on Netflix, it looks very different than the environment that the author creates in her books. So what connection can we make between what Regency England looks like in the Netflix version of Bridgerton compared to the book. Isn't Shonda Rhimes the producer? Yeah, she is. Yes. So I just love that they're taking and innovating a story to fit where we're hoping to create an environment and create a society and even an education where there's more diversity, equity, and inclusion. So again, Casey says it's going to be on the nose. We How could we not bring this up and not talk about that in a little more depth? But I just think of what Shonda Rhimes has done in the sphere of TV production, what could that look like in education? 
Similarly, I tend to think of that well-known but not always followed idea that representation matters. And I think that it mattered in this sense for people to make a real emotional connection to the characters on the screen. So, like, I think that the real breakout character of this show was Simon. Yes, Duke of Hastings. Yes, and he wasn't written as a black man, but Regé John Page, like, just busted out this role and I think Mm -hmm. that the way he inhabited it and just the casting of that role could not have been more perfect but I think pushing the boundaries a little bit and really making sure to be inclusive with their representation has led to more people being able to relate to this show and made it the breakout hit that it is and I know the books were popular but they were kind of in in a pocket and I think they've managed to get out of that pocket a little bit now that people have these other characters that they've seen on the screen to picture in their heads Mm -hmm. while they watch or read. Exactly. Exactly. And my connection, Emily, is the exact same as yours, that representation, having learners see themselves in the books that they're reading, see themselves on screens, see themselves in the teachers who are teaching them, hit the nail right on the head with me. Bridgerton reflects that in the diversity of its cast. Okay, number four. So our next connection that we're going to do in Bridgerton is to the Queen, Queen Charlotte. One of the first things I think of when I think of the Queen is it reminds me like just with the pageantry of being presented for the season and the queen is sitting there in her throne, it reminds me of evaluation time <laughs> Ooh. when you have either your principal or your assistant principal or your superintendent coming in to observe your class. It always feels like such an event, such a, a pageant. And that to me is really sad when you think about it, because in some institutions, It feels like that, whereas we want our administrators to be able to see our students as they are, to see us as we are, instead of the murmurs through the halls like, the principal's coming, the queen is coming, that sort of thing. So I think of her in that sense. But I also think of her too, and I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this, in season Two, you get to meet Charlotte's husband. He's essentially absent for the entire first season. And you can tell that he is not mentally there. That's Um, historically accurate, right? (laughs) That is historically accurate. So she ends up shouldering a lot of the power and the control over the country. And I think that's an indication of, too, everything our principals and leaders are having to work with right now and having to balance community needs, staff and Mm. students' needs. There is a backstory, just like we were talking Mm -hmm. about with Anthony and Simon. There's a backstory with everything our administrators are going through and having to handle. I like that you mentioned that, Casey, because one of the things I was actually going to say was when you first think of the queen, and I like like you would think about it in layers. So I looked at her as almost like top-down communication, because when you think of the way she judges society members and like her approval is needed for everything, and like there's just so much top-down to the way that their society was structured then, and also historically accurate. That's how it is. And then when you think of the the way that that top-down communication affects the people within that society, it's different. But at the same time, she also, to me, represents an importance for humanization. 
in what you mentioned, Casey, she's humanized. And in a couple right. other ways, too. Like, she really appreciates a good love story. Like, she gets on the Simon and Daphne ship, like, when she thinks mm-hmm. they're really in love, you know? Like, they have to convince her that it's real love, and then she's on board. And also, like, she wants to get in with the gossip. She wants to know what's going on. She gets yeah. in there, and it humanizes yeah. her, despite all that top-down structuring. So I would say it top-down structuring is, is hard to avoid completely in any system, and particularly their society, but to stay grounded in a few really humanizing elements and let those shine through leaders, don't be afraid to do it. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to piggyback off of the gossip part. That's the piece that stands out to me is that she also is very invested in reading Lady Whistledown's take on things. And Mm -hmm. actually, it informs some of her decision making. And so that's something in leadership you also want to be careful about is being able to decipher what is truth versus what is gossip or what is hearsay. And so that's something that every Everybody in a leadership role needs to be able to balance well. And I'm not saying that I have the answer to what that is in just a tip or two. However, you need to be aware of it so that you are making the decisions from a lens of integrity. All right, friends, we're running short on time. So we've got two more connections. First, let's talk about both. And to me, they're they're synonymous here, the connection. Daphne and the Duke, as well as Lady Danbury and Mrs. Bridgerton. I'll make it short and sweet, but the importance of clear and helpful communication. I'd say Daphne and the Duke more come into communicating well with each other. They're not innate at it. Whereas Lady Danbury and Mrs. Bridgerton, they're very close. They understand each other. They're always hanging out together at parties. And it seems like they really get each other and can communicate with each other and are helpful in even helping each other get what they want, which is, you know, a secure marriage and situation for their children. And they they help each other. They communicate with each other. And it's so important to be able to do that. Yep. And I'll make it quick as well. But I was thinking symbiotic relationships. Mm -hmm. You think of Daphne and Duke, they need each other in order to survive the environment they find themselves in. And so find your people. Yep. And mine was very similar, Jenny, power of partnerships. The two sets partner up together to try to achieve a goal. And it just so happened that because the two sets were partnering together, we see the end result, which is what we Mm -hmm. ultimately wanted in the end. And then final connection, I'm going to start with this one. This is Lady Whistledown. So Lady Whistledown is actually revealed, spoiler, to be Penelope, one of Eloise's best friends. Now, Penelope is able to operate as Lady Whistledown because she is the ever-consistent wallflower, right? She's the one who hears all things. She's the one that's able to fly under the radar. And to me, that is a glaring reminder of in in the educational sphere that we find ourselves in, we're seeing an increase in challenging behavior when it comes to students in the classroom. And I think it's important for us to remember, to name and notice those students who are doing good things, who are getting the work done and accomplishing greatness and really paying attention to best conduct and letting those students know you see them and appreciate them because Lady Whistledown is getting noticed anyway and we want to be sure it's for the right reasons. It wouldn't be a pop culture episode if I didn't take a hard left on something somebody just said. So I'm just going to roll with (laughs) it. Go for it. I love Penelope. She's a great character and watching her is just a joy. And Lady Whistledown's like cattiness and the way that, that's Julie Andrews, right? Like does the narration. Her voice? Yes, I think think it is. Uh, Yeah. So like the way that she does that narration is just a joy to listen to. But 
I think it's actually not a great thing for Penelope's character that she's doing this. You don't have to look further than what she did to Marina. And how I connect mm-hmm. it to the education world is what happens when communication isn't consistent with transparency. So she's transparent about all of the gossip and the things and all those facts about people that she's sharing and all their secrets. But while she does this, she keeps this huge secret about who she herself is, mm-hmm. which allows her to have that ongoing eye on everybody. But everybody's a little bit afraid of her. Everybody's a little bit worried that Lady Whistledown's going to find out their secrets and spill it to everybody. And right or wrong to have secrets, it's really a hard thing to do to build trust and not fear if you're not communicating with transparency in a consistent way. Yeah, I'm going to round it out and bring it home because we're running short on time. We've mentioned it before on other episodes, just the power of storytelling and capturing the story. And she does that. Why is being a journalist, why is that so compelling for people? And why does telling stories make learning sticky? It just does. And so Emily, you brought it home with for dark or for light, you know, what is the story that you're trying to tell, but we do know how to leverage storytelling and learning because that really does make it as we always like to say, sticky. That's true. That is the stuff everybody wants and wants to learn in those episodes, good or bad. We ready for game time? Mini game, mini episode. So our quick little mini game, again, any sort of historical romance story I completely fall for. Just really quick, our would you rather game this time is which Regency era activity would you be skilled at? And my thinking is we try to identify for each other. So I will identify for Emily. Emily, you identify for Jenny. Jenny, you identify for me. Are you sure? Are you yes. sure you want me identifying? I do. <laughs> this never goes well. <laughs> it never goes well, but it creates great content. So yeah, that's it's always right. me. <laughs> so which skill would you be most apt to utilize your time for doing in the Regency era? So our three options for each other would be needlework, pianoforte, and millinery. So for those of you who don't know what millinery is, that is the art of hat making. Yeah, don't feel bad. I had to look it up. Yeah. Another <laughs> thing. If you didn't know, I didn't. Another thing we were today years old when we learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Emily, you have yours? Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say, Emily, yours would be millinery because of your knack for flower arranging. Oftentimes, Mm. not only do you put flowers on your hat, but you could put other objects, even birds. They used to put birds on their hats and stuff. Put a bird on it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I would pick for you. You're correct. For that exact Woo-hoo! reason, you get birds and feathers and interesting textures and variants of height. And I think the design part would really appeal to me. And I'm going to just ignore that there was like mercury poison for hat makers, hence the Mad Hatter. We're not going to yeah. talk about that mm-hmm. today. That's a different episode. But yes, you're right. And bonus points to Casey for bringing up birds, because anytime you say birds, Emily giggles. I know, she always laughs at birds. birds. Are funny. <laughs> All right, um, you're up. Okay, I'm putting you in Regency. You have more time on your hands to apply your skill set. But I'm saying pianoforte because you like to sing in the car. So I think you would be a self-accompanied pianist and you would like to play and sing and noodle around with that in your free time. Oh, I wish I could give it to you. No! But I, can't. I totally agree with you now that you say that out loud, but it wasn't the first one I was drawn to. Yes, I like to sing, but I don't know how to play, although I wish I could play an instrument. I went with millinery as well oh, for myself, really? okay. just because I like to wear hats, and that's where it went for me. But 
I like your take on it better. Sorry. That's okay. We could always team up and have a hat shop. Good to know. (laughs) Yes. Good to know with birds. Birds. (laughs) And Casey, for you, this is the one I had. And again, this one I think is safe, a safe zone. So I thought piano forte for you because of your love for music. I understand why you would say that. However, the crocheter in me... Oh, I just blew it, didn't nah, I? I was going to, that's what I was going to guess. And I was going to say, because you're a crafter. Yep. I was going to yes. say needlework. Needlework. Needlework and crafty. Uh, yep. That was yep. so obvious. Crafting. Right yep. I have attempted numerous times to play my own music, but my fingers don't. There's too much going on in the brain of a musician. <laughs> so the needlework would definitely be where I would find my joy. All right. So who won that? That was who that was me. I was Casey. the only one who Casey who, who wins. Right, right? Yeah. You, you were right. You win. Yep. Awesome. So I win a huge um, hat full of birds and flowers. <laughs> and and I get to blankets. be presented to the queen. You're the whoop, whoop. this year's diamond. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and you got her to giggle and mute herself. That was great. Wrapping up the episode. We'll see you on the next one. Bye, y'all. See ya. And that's it for another GLG mini-sode, Six Degrees of Education. A sincere thank you for joining us on this journey as we continue to advocate for adult learners and aim to contribute to this community with genuine conversations about education, leadership, and topics that matter to you. If you'd like to connect, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie, using the hashtag GLGPodChat. As usual, feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review? It helps us to improve our work, allows us to bring you quality and customized content, and assists others in finding our guild as well. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream. That way, you'll be notified with a reminder when our newest episodes drop. Thanks again for joining us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, on this mini-sode of the Grounded Learners Guild. See you at the next Guild meeting. And even though it's summer, do your best to stay grounded.